team for leading us. And uh, if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in John 15. We just read a, a few moments ago uh, the text we're going to walk through, uh, John 15. And our theme this morning is thriving through abiding, thriving through abiding. And I love this time of year. I love uh, this time of year because it just seems like it's getting a little bit warmer, uh, except for today, I guess. Uh, but it's typically around this time getting a little warmer and uh, a little more sunshine and just a little more uh, getting, getting outside. And as you have probably noticed or maybe even looking out your window, uh, you begin to see new life is sprouting, whether it's through trees or bushes, flowers, those kind of things, and, and, and it's also during this time of year that you perhaps look outside your window and you're like, I got to get out there, <laughs> like I got to get out there, I got I to gotta clean out all the, the lifeless bushes and vines and all those things and get all that cleared out and, and maybe even get the, the pruning clippers and it's trimming back the trees or those kind of things so that they can uh, sprout new life, and, and so you, if you get in your car, depending on where you live, whether it's a neighborhood or, or just kind of along the streets, as you're driving, you're probably going to see just piles of just dead brush, limbs, vines, those kind of things just piled up on the roadside. And at some point, somebody's going to come along and pick that stuff up. I don't know where they take that, but, but those piles are out there and somebody's going to come get it and they just, they just, go, they just go away. And, and, and I, I, I love God's timing his timing's always perfect, but even as we are walking through this text today, is that we're walking through this text in a season where we totally get that. We understand that. Perhaps some of you yesterday were, were out there and you were doing that kind of cleaning and removing and pruning work because it is springtime and it's time for new life. And Jesus is going to use this all-too-familiar visual imagery to help his disciples and help us as the church to really see a, an essential spiritual truth in this. And so this truth that we are going to see is that we know that it is absolutely impossible for a branch to live apart from its life-giving source. We know that. We look on the sides of roads, and again, we see it. There's no life in that because it's been disconnected. There's, there's no attachment to the life source. There's no nutrients. There's no sap. Uh, there's no whatever's needed to bring life to that. I mean, uh, and we know that in this season, as those branches or vines get the nutrients needed and the sun needed and the rain needed, that it sprouts this new life. And so we see this principle that's true in our front yards, it's true in our backyards, but it's true in the kingdom of God. It's true in His rule and His reign. And the main idea around the Word this morning is that a thriving faith comes only through an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to share that one more time because there is only one way. A thriving faith comes only through an abiding relationship with Jesus. So looking at the word I mentioned just a moment ago, but it's always good to get our bearings in the text of where we're at. I mentioned uh, it's Passion Week. It's the last week of the earthly ministry 
of Jesus. It's Thursday evening. He has just uh, shared this ending Passover meal in the upper room. Uh, He has ended the Passover. He's instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. Now the bread and the fruit of the vine have, have complete new meaning. He's washed the disciples' feet. He told them out loud that one of them was going to betray him. We know that's Judas. So Judas has now departed from the upper room. Uh, Peter pipes up and, and claims how you know he's willing to give his life for Jesus. And Jesus lovingly rebukes him and says, No, you're actually going to deny me three times before the rooster ever crows. And then Thomas is asking his questions. Philip is asking his questions. And then Jesus in John 14 towards that latter half gives what some of the most comforting verses in all of Scripture because we're introduced to the praying ministry of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to ask the Father and He's going to send you another helper. And what He's speaking of is the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit of God will 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 come and indwell His believers and will indwell them and teach them and lead them in truth and comfort them. And it's with that teaching and that encouragement from Jesus that He says, I mentioned it a moment ago, the last verse in John 14, that last verse Jesus says, Arise and let's go. And what He's saying is, it's time to leave this upper room and He is making His way down most likely a set of stairs that will lead him across the side of the Temple Mount, down through the Kidron Valley, and up to this, this, this garden that's called the Garden of Gethsemane, which means the place of crushing, and that this is ultimately where he will be betrayed. And so Jesus, knowing absolutely everything, he is saying it's time. The hour's here, it's time to go, and they're making their way out of this upper room, but Jesus is still teaching them. If you have a red-letter Bible, John 15 is where we're at. You look at John 16, John 17, it's all red, and then all of a sudden the red letters aren't around as much because this this is the final teaching that Jesus is going to pour into His disciples before the cross And he's going to teach them about this spiritual truth using imagery, again, that they're familiar with. And he's going to talk about spiritual fruits. Very Spiritual fruit and outward success are two completely different things. Jesus isn't talking about landing a great job or winning a game or, or getting that degree. What he's talking about is he's talking about what only the Spirit of God can form inside of you. It's what Paul talks about in Galatians 5 is the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit's work in a believer's life. Love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. This is what only the Spirit of God can form inside of us. We can't work this kind of fruit up. God forms it in us. So as we look at John 15, 1, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I'm the true vine. So a couple observations this morning. One is that Jesus alone is the source of life. He says, I'm the true vine. So this would have connected with His disciples in a significant way. connects with us as well, but for them especially, because for them, the vine 
was a symbol of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament Scriptures. And so they would be very, very familiar in Isaiah chapter 5. If you were to go to Isaiah 5 and read the first few verses, you will see God speaking about the nation of Israel in terms of them being like a, like a vine. Uh, and it's, it's actually not a great picture because he's actually talking about how they have essentially grown wild and they're inedible and that they have basically like living this broken life apart from God's amazing grace. And so the problem is, is that Israel is broken and Jesus is drawing a contrast between him and what they might associate with the vine as Israel, that he's the true vine. When Jesus spoke of the vine, uh, he was speaking of something they were very, very familiar with. The temple uh, gate would have had the grapevine on it. Their money had the grapevine on it. It's almost like the stars and stripes of America, like this grapevine, like it's this symbol of, of, of Israel and even Judaism. And so as we look at this text, Jesus again is making that contrast because the people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel were like, hey, if you want to have a relationship with God, that pathway goes through Israel first. That pathway goes through Israel. It goes through Judaism. You want a relationship with God, you got to bring the right sacrifices to the altar. you got to celebrate the Jewish festivals. You need to honor all the Jewish holidays. It's like Israel, 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 Israel. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. The path to God doesn't go through Israel. It goes through me. You need me. I'm the true vine. And in verse 2, it goes on to say that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And this is important now because he's, he's, we're not talking about just like physical vines and, and branches right now. He's drawing the, the illustration to himself. He's the true vine and he speaks of people as branches. He speaks of you and I as branches. And we know that a branch alone is unable to give any kind of life in and of itself. A branch is completely dependent, which is really hard to admit. It's really hard to admit dependence. It's really hard to admit that we can't be good enough, smart enough, wise enough. It's hard to be in that place to realize like we can't fix it, that we need somebody else we need God in our lives and so we know this about branches and Jesus says every branch that doesn't bear fruit he's going to take away so a vine dresser is has kind of I'd say two two primary jobs at least as it as it comes to the 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 clearing out and the pruning like you in your yard if that's been you and you're out there or you're one of those that hadn't got out there yet but once the freezing temperature's clear, you're going to get out there and you're going to do the work and you're going to, you're going to clear out what has no life. You're going to clear out what's not living. You're going to, those dead branches of vines, you're going to clear that out and then you're going to prune back. But speaking of these dead branches that are taken away, it's a picture. It's a humbling, sobering picture of the judgment of God that awaits those who are living apart from a relationship with Him. That these branches that were taken away are symbolic of those who may appear to follow Christ, but genuinely are not believers. Uh, I think it's even important that we read this in light of what has just happened in the upper room. 
Judas has been right there alongside the, the disciples for the past three and a half years. Uh, when, when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, evidently he had the, out, the outward behavior down so good that none of the disciples were like, oh yeah, I know it's Judas. It's got to be Judas. I mean, we've seen him. No, like they don't even know who he's talking about. He had the outside behavior. Evidently he had the lingo down pat. He had all this, but what do we know about Judas? Judas's heart was far from God. And what we know about every genuine believer is not that genuine believers are perfect. We as believers can testify to that. But every believer can testify to the reality that Jesus Christ has changed their life. Changed their life. That for a person to admit that they are a sinner and need a Savior and to turn from sin and self and turn to King Jesus and surrender your heart to King Jesus as the Lord of your life and He sends the Helper, the Holy Spirit, His presence, setting up residence in your life as a believer to indwell us, to teach us, to comfort us. You can't be saved and the Spirit of God working and there be no change. And I mean this with as much love and grace as possible because I've shared this before, but it is true. If there's no change in your life, then there has been no Jesus in your life. Jesus changes us and He changes us from the inside out. If there's no fruit, like zero fruit, it is very likely that there is zero relationship with Jesus because Jesus changes us. He changes us. And so this is a warning that branches that are living apart from a relationship with King Jesus, they are gathered up and they are taken away. And it is that sobering reminder of judgment that awaits all of those who reject Jesus. But there is absolutely a strong warning in this to the believer. To the believer who has, whether it's fallen into temptation or struggle. We all know as believers, the struggle doesn't disappear. Temptation doesn't disappear. Believers can fall into temptation, but they can't live there in habitual unrepentant sin. Like just God's Spirit of God just is at work in us, convicting and guiding us out. And so the encouragement is this, is are there things as a believer that we know that we have allowed into our lives that are hindering our relationship with Him? And that God in His grace is desiring to bring that to light. I, I, uh, a couple years ago, or actually it was not long after I got here, we had a men's breakfast and I brought a picture of a house that I used to drive by almost every day when we lived in Florida. And it was this house, we got a picture of it up there. I don't know if you can kind of see, but there's actually a, there's something growing in the house. <laughs> can anybody see what that is? It is a tree. There's a tree growing in their house. <laughs> Okay, so I don't know this. I don't know the owners. When I, as I drove by it every day, it's a condemned home now. I had to take a picture of it because I was like, one, I thought it was really cool, but, but, but two, I, I was just like, you just don't see that every day. And I don't know if this is true, but the way it looks is it looks like they actually built the house around the tree. 
Like, if you look at the roof, you almost see the border of the area in the roof that's been cut out so that the tree can can just grow. And, and, and here's the thing. Maybe that seemed like a great idea at one point. <laughs> but trees grow, right? They get nutrients. They get sun. They get rain. What are they going to do? They're going to grow. That, that tree that was maybe like not that big is just going to get bigger. And if you look closer... And if you were to zoom in, what you would find is you'll actually find the foundation of the home actually like shifting upward where the roots of the the branches are and even those branches going into the home where they have grown to the point where they've literally taken over to the home, which from what it appears as my driving by it almost every day looked like the the house was inhabitable. And And I share this as an encouragement to us. Because it is possible as a believer that we're like, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, with with all of these areas of our life, but yet we know there's this one thing. There's this one thing that 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 we're we're either clinging to or holding on to that we know doesn't honor the Lord, this area of obedience, and we just kind of we're like, no, we're actually gonna build our lives around this and and like we're just gonna keep going. But the problem is, is that 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 thing, if left untended and continued to allow to grow in our lives, will only continue to destroy and erode the home and what's there. And so there is this absolute challenge of God to examine our lives as one of two branches, because there's only two kinds, a living branch or a dead branch. A branch that bears fruit, or a branch that doesn't bear fruit. There's only two kinds. And so as we see this, we see this warning to the one who has that outward behavior down pat, but heart is far from God. There is this desire at times on false disciples to want to bring God's standard down or just have enough truth to feel Christian and like just kind of like not not tune in to the rest of what God has called us to. And so I asked this question, and I'll ask it the last hour, and I'll ask here, like, it's kind of a random question I'm about to ask, but, but how many of y'all think I can dunk? I know I just took a U-turn right there. Okay, I can dunk. I can, all right? But only like two people believe me, okay, or, or three. I can totally dunk on a seven-foot goal. Like, right, I can, I, can, I can do that. I can, in my driveway, I got one of those little levers, and I can just bring it down. And it feels really good when I bring that down because then I truly feel what it feels like to dunk. But what have I done? I have cheated. I have brought the standard down to the point where it just makes me feel good about myself. But all of y'all are looking at me and you're like, dude, you can't dunk. <laughs> you never could and you never will. All right, so, so, but here's the thing, that's the temptation. God has given a standard. There's one standard. And that standard is righteousness. And the Bible te- teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. So like, unless you're completely and totally righteous, you're never going to meet the standard. And so here's the good news is that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, to live the standard for us. And He was crucified on a cross 
taking our place on the cross, taking the judgment of our sin on Himself, being placed in a borrowed tomb and rose from the dead, proving He alone has the power to forgive our sin, make us right with God, and the Bible teaches He gifts us His righteousness. Like He is the standard for us. So as we see in this word, Jesus alone is the source of, of life, but a second observation is that pruning is necessary for growth and health. It's necessary. Verse 2, that second part, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That it's necessary for branches connected to him in relationship to experience pruning. The cutting away is painful process that God uses to grow us as His believers to our fullest potential and faithfulness in Him. It's been said, and I believe this is one of the most comforting truths of pruning, in that the Father's hand is never closer than when He's pruning. That God designs to use this in a way and in a season for His purposes, so that we will grow and become all that He's designed us to be. I'm just curious, how many of y'all have pruned trees this spring? Anybody been out there? Alright, I see the, okay, so several been out there. It, it, it's, it's really weird process because it's like you know it's going to grow back, but you're scared every time you do it. You take the clippers and you go back out there and you like, it's a crepe myrtle or whatever. You like clip it down to where there's just nubs. Like there's just nubs on the tree. And you look at it and you're like, I hope this grows back. <laughs> you, you, you're just, you know it is, but at the same time you're like, uh, and then you look at it and it's like, man, it's ugly, like it's barren. And, and there's one, our neighbor's tree is right outside our, our dining room window, and, and, and man, he cut those things back to the nubs. And Sheppy, one of my boys, and I would look out there and like, we're like, man, he really cut that back like a lot. Like, is that going to grow back? I don't, I don't know if it is. And it's just barren. And that was about two weeks ago. And uh, we've gotten some rain lately, haven't we? Like, there's rain. We've gotten some sunshine. Warm, and what happens yesterday or day before we were looking out, and he was like, Daddy, Daddy, look at it. And it had just flourished with new life. But it's almost like it looks so barren, and it looks like so, I mean, can we say ugly? I mean, we, we could say that. But yet it paves the way for beauty and New growth. And the encouragement is this, is that whatever God allows in our lives, He wants to use in our lives. And it is probably true that we probably learn things in times of comfort. But my hunch is all of us have probably learned greatest and experienced God's intimacy closest. And even those desperate hours most when something has been taken away. That a pruning has taken place. And it can come in all shapes of sizes. But the Bible says, this is the half-brother of Jesus. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, there is 
some things that can only be learned through through the pruning and through the trial. That if you think about it, it's in those moments that there is a great dependence that is stirred up in us in the time of pruning. There's a great desperation that comes about in the time of pruning. As I shared a moment ago, there is this intimacy and trust and faith in God that comes strongest, it seems, in those times of pruning. That The psalmist, the psalm writer, Psalm 119, listen to what Psalm 119.71 says. This is a voice of incredible spiritual depth. And here's what, the, here's what the writer says. It is good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. That is such a challenging passage. That evidently that psalm writer had been through so much and had God's grace through that time had come to the point where there was a gratitude for what was learned in that. And so we must ask the Heavenly Father, and this is a bold prayer, and it's a courageous prayer. And that prayer is this, God, would you prune anything away in my life that is hindering me from a thriving relationship with you? Would you show me? Would you guide me? Is there something that is limiting my surrender to you. In verse 3, the Bible says, Already you are clean. These 11 disciples, believers, place their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Over and over, abide, 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 abide. We, we sometimes use that word abode. It's the place we live. Like My abode is Olive Branch, Mississippi. And, and it's, it's where I live. And you can look on my driver's license and it shows you where I live. You look on my truck um, title, it's going to show you where I live. Uh, people who charge us stuff for electricity and things, they send a bill to that address because they know that's where they'll find me, right? That's where we live. That's my address. In, in really sunny, beautiful days, that's where I live. And the other night when there was like, I felt like we stayed in the closet for hours in the middle of the night with tornado warnings and everything, like, that's where I live. When times are good, that's where I live. When times are bad, that's where I live. When times are challenging, that's where you'll find me because that is where I reside. And what Jesus is encouraging his disciples is that you reside in me. You abide in me. Me and through abiding in Him, living connected to Him, nurturing those areas of spiritual discipline in our lives so that His grace flows through our lives, like listening and abiding to His Word. This is going to talk about my Word abides in you, that the Word of God just sets up residence in our heart to live us, lead us, and guide us. And 
direct us, that is through this yielding and prayer and communion with the Father and yielding our flesh to Him, that He will form that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus is telling His disciples, live your lives connected to Me. He's the true vine. So we need His Word because the enemy is at work. I mean, nobody, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't for a second have to just to share a few headlines and share how broken our world is. We see it. But yet, the enemy is at work and even from as far or as early on as the garden, the, the, the enemy is whispering, did God really say? Just twisting and and causing doubt, and yet the truth of God's Word is what we must cling to. I, I think about just even in practical ways, I think of that comparison trap, which we probably have all gotten trapped in at some point, right? You, you don't like something about yourself, uh, and you see that in another person, and you wish you were either more like that person, or less like yourself, or more like this or that. And the comparison trap is a trap like nobody wins, you either think, oh, wow, I'm way better, and you, you, you get puffed up with pride, or you feel like a loser, and you, 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 feel, like a, you feel like a loser. Like, like there's no, nobody wins the comparison trap. But the enemy will whisper these, um, these areas of our lives that we wish weren't so, but yet the Word of God in Psalm 139.4 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You look at others in talent and skill set and ability and you're kind of be like, oh, I wish I was more. I wish I could do that more, be more like that. But listen to what God says in Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared in advance that we would walk in. I have, I have met with so many people over the years and you can almost hear their struggle with their value and their worth. But listen to what God says. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how valuable you are. Your worth. We, we, we perhaps experience those times where we feel like we're kind of pushed out in the margins or we see this gathering of, of people and we're out of that circle and we, we wish we were in that circle but we're not. And you just feel this rejection that sets in. But listen to what Jesus says in Ephesians 1.6. He says He has made us accepted in the Beloved. You look at what's ahead of you and you're like, ah, there's no way I can make it through this. But what do we mean? Apart from me, Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing. Paul says, and through Christ I can do all things. And the failure and the pain that the broken things we work through, God says He works all things together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Jesus is the remedy and His truth we must cling to and we only cling through abiding. And so in verse 6 he brings it back around what we mentioned earlier, this judgment that awaits all of those apart from Christ. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And I just want to say it one more time because, again, there are two kinds of branches. There are branches that bear fruit and there are dead branches. There's only two kinds. There's only two kinds. They may look a little different, but there are two kinds. And the challenge is, which branch are you? The challenge is, 
What branch are you? I want to say it one more time. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. This speaks of judgment. Anyone who rejects Christ will be subject to eternal judgment. Matthew 13 verse 47 says this, again, the kingdom of heaven It's like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers and threw away the bad. And so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it is these two branches. The branch that bears fruit will live eternally with Christ as King forever and ever and ever. And the branches that do not are living apart from a relationship with Christ will face judgment for the rest of their lives. Jesus is the only source for life. Pruning is necessary for growth and health. And a third observation is that abiding in Christ comes through obedience to Christ. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is an echo of a promise he made earlier. We're going to hear it one more time in just a minute. Just this, this like the disciples, remember their Savior is, he's physically leaving them. And so they're worried, they're concerned, but he's comforting them like whatever you need. Ask in my name, I'm going to give it. To ask in his name is in alignment with his will, in alignment with his character. This is saying, God, I want what you want before we ask for our own wills to be done. This is how Jesus invited or taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he starts showing us how to pray for our daily bread. It's setting that that tone and desire for God, God's will to be done. He says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. God, help us not to live for the temporary rotting fruit that seems so worth it sometimes, but rather to live with our eyes on Jesus and to live in a way for spiritual impact, kingdom ripples, that our lives would bring glory to Him. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love, these things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This joy is completely... Uh, not affected by conditions. It's not a, well, if, if everything goes great, you can have this joy. But it's not conditioned. It's, it's His joy. It's His presence. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. It only comes through abiding in thriving relationship with Him. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. I wish I had more time to unpack this. I can't, but i got to make this connection. He just, in the upper room, said a new commandment I give to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
So when he said love, when he said a new commandment I give to you, it's important to know like he's told us all along to love people. Love God, love people. Like that's that's all the way through. But yet he says a new commandment. And then he says this. He says, This is my commandment that you love one another. What he's saying is loving others isn't new, but the standard to which I'm calling you to love others is a level you've never seen or experienced before. That in just a couple hours from now, he will lay down his life for the sins of the world. And again in verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide and that whatever you ask the Father, there it is again, in my name, He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Christ just over and over, love one another, love one another, love one another as I have loved you. New commandment I give. This is a new level, this agape love, this kind of love that, that, that puts the, the interest of others above your own to the point of self-sacrifice. This is the love of Jesus that he has laid down, and this is what he is calling us to as believers. And he doesn't ask us to do it in our own strength because he's already told them I'm going to send the helper the Holy Spirit in you to empower you to comfort you to teach you to indwell you and so as we look at the text my encouragement first of all would be to believers I haven't met one person in a long I haven't met I can't think of a single conversation I've had in a long time where I talked to somebody and they were like, you know what, I just don't have anything going on right now. I'm just as bored as I can be. Do you have anything going on? Maybe you could tell me something and like, you know, I just got tons of time on my hands and I'm just, you know, twiddling my thumbs. And we're like, I would love to twiddle my thumbs just for a little while, right? It's true. And so it's very easy in that pace of life that our doing can outpace our being with God and our abiding in Him in the form of just living connected with His Word and prayer and yielding our lives to His and, and His Spirit's leading. Like All of that can kind of get jumbled up. But perhaps it is a fresh day of committing to spending time relationally with God in His Word and in prayer, communing with Him. It could be that you're one of those believers It's like, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. Jesus, you can have it all, Lord, except for this tree right now that I'm, that, that's just made its way into my house and it's just growing and growing. And yet, perhaps this is God's grace toward you and His Spirit bringing conviction and saying, it's time to get rid of the tree. To repent, to believe, and to rest in Him. And that we can rest in abiding in Him and in His love. And then it could be that this is 
this kind of final question I posed at the beginning, and I think somewhere in the middle, and I'm wrapping up now, is that there are only two types of branches. There are branches that bear fruit, and there are dead branches. Branches connected to a life-giving relationship with Jesus bear fruit. Pruning absolutely takes place. It's not a perfect branch, but it's a branch that bears fruit. Evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in their life. But yet there's this dead branch where there's absolutely zero life because there's zero relationship with God. And the invitation is that God is inviting you to a life-giving relationship with Him through repentance and faith. And He will absolutely accept you in the Beloved, gift you His righteousness, forgive you of all of your sin, give you peace with God, give you a purpose that is way larger than yourself or what ends when this life is over and to spend eternity with Him. And so that invitation is for you today. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for your amazing grace. God, just that song is in my heart right now. Just how sweet the sound of your grace is. And God, John 15, these first 17 verses are dripping with your grace, dripping with your love. This challenge, encouragement, command, and invitation for believers to live connected, God, thriving in relationship, bearing spiritual fruit, fruit that lasts for your glory and for your mission. God, I pray that if there's any area in our life that does not bring honor and glory or anything in our life that is hindering our flourishing in all that you've called us to be, God, would you would you prune those things back in our life so that we can become all that you've designed us to be, thriving in relationship with you. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that today would be the day they begin that relationship through admitting they are a sinner, turning from their sin and surrendering to you as Lord of their lives. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you, God, that apart from you, we can do nothing. But through you, we can do all things. God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with me as we have a song of response. We have pastors here who would love to pray over you for you. Altars always open, but just encouraging all of us to set our hearts before the, the, the Lord and just ask His Spirit to work in our lives for His glory.